welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Support for this episode is brought to you by the Headset app. Are you looking for a simple solution for coach to catcher communication for the season that doesn't require bulky hardware in the dugout? Traditional communication gear can be a headache to set up and carry from game to game. But what if there's a game-changing solution? Introducing the Headset app, your new MVP in communication for coaches and catchers. Enjoy crystal clear, ultra HD audio without the major league price tag. It's compatible with any Bluetooth headset or earbuds. Say goodbye to tangled wires and extra hardware. Ready to step up to the plate? Download the Headset app for free today. Getting started is as easy as a home run trot. Create your account, invite your team, and start calling pitches. The Headset app is ready for download in the App Store and on Google Play. Swing for the fences and download today to get a five-day free trial. And for a limited time, use ABCA24 when you buy your pass for next season and save 10%. Find out more at theheadsetapp.com. Next up on the ABCA podcast is this year's Dave Kylitz Ethics and Coaching Award winner, Lee University head coach Mark Brew. Following 10 seasons as an assistant coach for the Flames under ABCA Hall of Fame coach Dave Alltop, Brew took over the Lee baseball program in 2007. Now in his 18th season as the program's head coach, Brew has guided his teams to 671 wins. The Flames advanced to the NAI World Series in each of Brew's first seven seasons as head coach while reaching the 50-win mark each season. In 2008, Brew was named the NAI National Coach of the Year after leading the Flames to a 63-win season and runner-up finish at the NAI World Series. After transitioning to NCAA Division II and the Gulf South Conference in 2014, Brew has led the Flames to back-to-back NCAA tournament appearances in 2021 and 2022. A 30-year member of the ABCA, Brew currently serves on the ABCA's College Playing Rules Committee and our NCAA Competition Committee. Let's welcome Mark Brew to the podcast. How's the fall going? Uh, good. You know, we had our first scrimmage Saturday against Chattanooga State, just a kind of opportunity. And we'll have scout day tomorrow up at Tennessee Wesleyan. We co-share a scout day with them. That's just a good to idea. Get more attention and more opportunity for scouts to knock off multiple teams in one date. And then we'll wrap up the month up at Eastern Kentucky. So we're excited about getting that opportunity to go up there and play. 
cool. So, so h- how do you guys run your scout day then? You just do a normal workout. Do you guys play also? Yeah. Yeah, we don't play each other, uh, you know, because they're obviously NAI versus D2. They have some little bit of uh, rules around guys being eligible to participate. So if they do it themselves in-house, they can participate everybody. And then, um, you know, so we'll they'll go from one to three and we'll go three to five, you know, right on the back end of them. Uh, so, you know, no no mingling or anything like that. We just use the same site just so so the scouts don't have to travel further down the road. How how was the scrimmage with Chat State? I, I thought it went well. We pitched well, uh, you know, which was probably where we needed to make the biggest gains this year. So that was exciting to see. Uh, our lineup's a veteran lineup, so I figured it would produce, and it did. Uh, you know, defense has been really stellar. That's what's been probably the high point of the fall so far is we've played really, really good defense. And so, you know, so excited about that, you know, for sure. Here's Mark Brew. Uh, I think 18 seasons head coach at Lee University uh, was NAIA, um, but transitioned to Division Two. I think seven years after you got into it, and uh, getting close to 700 wins. But this year's recipient of the Dave Kylitz Ethics Award. So, congrats, Coach. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. Great to be with you, Ryan. What did Dave Alltop mean to your career? <laughs> wow. Uh, I don't know if we have a whole podcast. Might take the whole scenario, but. Uh, you know, listen, you know, as, as a, um, as a student athlete, I played for him for three years. And so it's some of the most formative years of my life. And, and he was a tremendous influence on me as a person, uh, as a player, uh, you know, and, and, and then obviously to be able to stay on staff with him there at Treveca at the time where I was playing and he was coaching and, um, you know, and then obviously he gets the job at Lee uh, a few years later. And I think my co- coaching career is over, you know, at that point. And l- little did I know behind the scenes, he had already worked out with the president at, at Lee, Dr. Khan, to to give me the opportunity to come here and be his assistant, you know, full time. And so it was a dream come true. But, you know, you rank people in, in influence in your life and he's up there, you know, uh, at the very top of my list, you know, for me personally and just in regards to, you know, not necessarily the X's and O's, but the uh, how to treat people, how to coach the game the right way, how to uh, impact players. And so I uh, learned so much from him, still get the opportunity, still here in the community to have lunch with him from time to time. You know, he comes out to the games and he never he never gives me advice. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, which I think is his way of saying, hey, you're doing a good job. Just keep rolling. So. I mean, did he mention at all when you were playing for him that maybe you should think about getting into coaching? Um, you know, for me personally, my my life's always revolved around into coaching. You know, three of the most influential. We talk about Coach Alltop, but you know, Elliot Johnson was also my first coach at at Treveca, who's a Hall of Famer in the ABCA, and and uh, and my high school coach Pierre Lyons were all the biggest uh, people in my life in regards to influence, and so for me it was all I wanted to do. It was all I wanted to do was coach. And so everything I did was try to navigate through that door. And fortunately got the opportunity to, to coach alongside him as a student assistant. And then, you know, later as a full-time assistant. And so, uh, but, I, but obviously he helped shape me and push me into a lot of areas, uh, you know, helped me grow as a coach. Uh, one thing I'll, I'll say that I, I always try to do with my current assistants is give them opportunity give them leeway to do things and to grow. Uh, Cause I think if we just tell them what to do all the time 
And if he had just told me what to do all the time, you know, I probably wouldn't have grown as much as I did. And so uh, very thankful for that and, and the belief in me, you know, to to let me make my own way, you know, so to speak, with 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 his influence over me at the same time. Is it easier for you to handle that with your assistants because you were an assistant for so long and, and coaches treated you that way as an assistant? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I have a soft spot for assistants and, and you know, I think we all had that moment where we were an assistant coach at some point in time. But, you know, like for me, it was like, you know, he treated me so well. He treated me with such great respect and 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 an opportunity to to allow me to make mistakes and to grow. And and I want to to make that happen, you know, for my assistant coaches and and to allow them that same opportunity and uh, and to grow them as 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 young men and and uh, people that go out and, and get their new opportunity at the new uh, new place that you, know, you watch them. It's exciting to go back, you know, and kind of reflect and see the the successes they've had and the uh, the growth they've had as a coach. And so, you know, it's kind of your your gift back into the coaching fraternity. Uh, and so, you know, for him investing in me, you know, it's something that I feel like I have to do and I have a responsibility to do. Was that an easy transition for you going from assistant to head coach at Lee because you'd been there? Yeah, I mean, it was more seamless probably than going into another environment. Uh, obviously, the culture was established. Um, you know, we had a great culture of kids and players and and, and assistant coaches and, and the universities set up for us, uh, you know, allowed for success on the field. You know, being transparent, I'm sure at the beginning I was more X's and O's oriented, uh, you know, and, and trying to, you know, you know, drink water from a fire hydrant at that point in time, you know, you're like getting a lot of information. It is way different on the other side, being a head coach versus an assistant coach, you know, um, but, you know, the the influence he had on me showed me a great model of how that uh, should look and how it should happen. And so uh, I feel like it was a seamless transition in regards to, you know, the the player personnel and the, and the university and things like that. And so, uh, so it's, uh, but it's definitely vastly different on that side. And, it's a paperwork uh, piece, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's you know it's like I'm sitting here this morning filling out you know NCAA forms and and those things and so things you don't think about you know administratively that you have to do and you know we're we're in addition to that you were aerating and overseeing our field today so you got that aspect of it and so it's it's a it's a well-rounded job to say the least. Did you keep your on-field responsibilities when you took over as head coach? I didn't, you know, I, I felt the need. We're fortunate that Lee believes in our program and at a level that we have two full-time assistants and a grad assistant. And so, you know, I, though I feel like I kept my hand in that and I did pitching for Coach Alltop, I kept my hand in that area. I felt like for them to be able to respond to the new pitching coach better, I needed to step back a little bit and allow him, you know, because I knew there would be that feel that they would still defer to me you know, or anything like that. And I didn't want that to be the case. I wanted them to to be able to have trust in the new coach and, and things like that. So, you know, I took the opportunity to, you know, to kind of more manage the whole program, you know, and, and I think some coaches, you know, it's hard, you know, we all have different resources, we all have different setups, but, you know, I think, you know, for me personally, it was an opportunity for me to take a step back and look overall you know, at everything, which I needed to be able to do because I had never had that view, you know, as as just a pitching coach and a recruiting guy. You know, I never got that, even though we all help and all our assistant coaches help in all areas, 
you know, it was, it was definitely an opportunity for me to kind of kind of take a step back. When did you add director of facilities and game management responsibilities? That was added this year. Uh, we've got a, a new uh, athletic director, Larry Carpenter, athletic director for years, uh, retired into a senior advisory role. Uh, and John Moppin, our former golf coach, took over as the athletic director. And and all of us as coaches want success in our department. Uh, I think we all went to Coach Moppin and said, hey, what can we do to help? How can we we make this transition for you? Uh, as easy as possible, knowing that it was going to be difficult for him transitioning from a uh, coaching role to a uh, an administrative role. And so, you know, a lot of us stepped up. And, and so he created this uh, framework of what he felt like would help make him successful and make the department successful. Things that we were already doing some, but maybe didn't have a title attached to it. And, and, and uh, he created this vision for what he wanted. And, you know, we all jumped on board to help out. And, you know, administration is always something I've had a desire to dabble my foot in a little bit. And so it's just an opportunity to kind of uh, put my foot in that door and do some things uh, administratively there. And I enjoy I enjoy the facilities piece. Like I enjoy working on a field. I enjoy uh, those things. That's my therapy, so to speak, as a coach. And, uh, you know, places I can go relax and get on a mower and, you know, spend a couple hours just decompressing from all the things that you do. So have you thought about how you're going to delegate some of those duties maybe in the spring when you get going? Yeah, I mean, we're fortunate that we have a couple grad assistants too as well who help with that responsibility, uh, you know, of setup and and game day operations. And each coach uh, also provides support as game day administrators and things like that. So in regards to what I'm doing the most of is is making sure all those things are covered, you know, making sure all those pieces of the puzzle come to come to fruition at the at the event and the game day uh, experience for everybody. We have a great athletic communications office who uh, does a lot of the the that side of it, the PA, the you know, the scoreboards, the 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 tech, the the statting and things like that. And so, you know, I don't have to deal with that too much. More of mine is making sure the facility's up and ready to go, making sure the game day administrators on site and and making sure that, you know, obviously at the post uh, side of the facility that it's flipped over for you know, because when you're using a basketball venue, for instance, you got both basketball teams practicing. You got volleyball playing right now, uh, so there's a lot of uh, carryover, and so getting the facility broke down as quickly as possible so it can be open for practices is an important piece of the puzzle. We do have a lot of coaches that have to take care of their own fields. So, from an aerating seating part, are you doing it twice a year with the aerating and yeah. seating? We just do the we do the aeration and seeding once a year in October. We'll do aerating again and probably the summer just to get a uh, you know a little bit more growth uh, into it. So uh, we have a great physical plant department that provides some support in that area with especially the big ticket items in regards to big tractor, big big pieces of equipment. But we do a lot of the we do the day-to-day -day operations of the, inst of the, of the facility. Uh, I share that with my assistant coaches and uh, we all uh, do a good job of that because, you know, I feel like it's our, you know, as any coach will say, it's your, it's your showpiece. It's your, you know, you want your players to come to practice and feel like they've got a great facility to play on. You want your recruits to show up and say, wow, you know, that's awesome surface. And, and then you want, you know, just the, the playability of it to be great. And so it's something we take serious and, 
you know, that we think is an important piece of the puzzle and uh, that we want to make sure that that our, you know, our whole program, uh, you know, spends a part of that. So, you know, these these big ticket item, big project items, uh, you know, have to come around a couple times a year. And so it's definitely, uh, you know, fun when it gets done, you know, because it's uh, getting through it like I was aerating and, and with a walk behind aerator and that thing will beat you up to death. Yes, and, uh, you know, so just a little sore today after doing that over the weekend. <laughs> Players have any uh, field responsibilities? Yeah, we always do post-practice responsibilities for players. Uh, we do we, one thing we've instituted a lot of is is a couple times a year having a, a work day just to create uh, pride in your environment. Uh, you know, uh, curbside appeal, things like that, making sure the guys realize that you know we all have a a part in this. You know, and that I want them to have ownership in it. I want them to feel pride in this. Uh, and what we have and our schools invested in us at a great level. And we appreciate that. And we're very thankful for that. But at the same time, we're stewards of that. So we should take care of those things. So if it's, you know, some days we, we do some pressure washing, we do some, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, up upgrade projects of some sort on the field. And then obviously you got the daily at the conclusion of practice, making sure, you know, the field's raked and smooth and it's ready and put to bed for the next day. How often do you treat the grass? for like crabgrass and some of that stuff. Are yeah. you treating it ever? You know, um, I'm not a huge treatment guy. I think if you're cutting uh, routines and your, um, you know, your seating routines and, and aerating and overseeding over routines are good, I think you minimize that. Uh, we do as needed. Uh, you know, I won't say we do it a lot. We've probably had one treatment of, of, of in regards to weeds or anything like that over the over the last couple of years uh it's been good for us uh you know it's worked for us uh you know fertilization same thing you know a lot of people fertilize you know every two weeks or three weeks or four weeks depending on a schedule routine for us we're taking looks at what's going on how the grass is reacting how it's growing uh, how it's thriving you know and things like that and so it's not just a automatic program it's more of a specific um plan you know when we see the need then we start to throw the the fertilizer down and those type of things yeah because that's why i asked too because obviously if you treat for crabgrass and some of that you can't seed at that time of the year because yeah. the, the seed right. won't take yeah absolutely so you know there's some of that pieces in there you know a lot of people pre-emerge post-emerge in the spring you know things like that again we just haven't had to do it and we've been fortunate we feel like we stay on top of things and you know, I can't say I, you know, honestly, I, like I've picked weeds, you know, out of our field, but that's, uh, that's our weed management right now is me walking around and seeing spots and, and just hand pulling, you know, and things like that, which to be honest with you works as good as having to put a whole application on the whole field. Yeah. So. Were you excited about the transition to division two from NAI? Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. Like it was big for us. Like uh, we had great success at the NAI. We had a great model. We felt like for success, and then all that was going to be thrown out the door. You know, so as a coach, you 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 naturally go to what it, what are we going to do now? How are we going to manage this process? How are we going to uh, make that adjustment? Uh, in addition, uh, you know, our, our school chose and the Gulf Conference chose us, which was. Uh, a big challenge for us uh, because it's been a uh, a league tradition with tradition steeped in state institutions. Lee's a private institution, and and 
and where these larger institutions would, you know, maybe at least cost of attendance, you know, is totally different. So you're not comparing apples to apples. So, you know, we had to create a new model, uh, you know, for recruiting. We had to recreate a new model for sustainability and success. And so, you know, we hit the the recruiting circuit on the high school side more than we ever had in our lives, uh, you know, because we had a lot of transfer connections and in, in the NAI level and the NAI naturally lends itself probably to that. But, uh, you know, so we had to to morph and change. And, and so clearly uh, we feel like we've done a good job navigating that process. It was difficult early because you've got that probationary period where you're allowed two years to kind of come up to speed and, and make sure all your processes are in place for, you know, being able to the paperwork, as we mentioned earlier, those type of things, showing what you're doing. Uh, and then it's tough to ask kids in that two year window to come to school, compete and not have a chance to play for a championship, you know, and so that that's a hard. And so I got a soft spot for those guys that came in that window that took that chance on us and, and it came out the other side. And well, that's where you have to do it with high school kids too, yes, because they got a correct. four year window. Like that's Absolutely. where you, you almost, you almost have to do it with high school yeah. kids there because yeah. they've got a four year window where they know on the back end of those two years, they're going to yep. junior and senior year, they got a chance to compete for a championship. Yeah, 100%. And you, and you talk to them about being building blocks. Like, Hey, you're the first, you're going to be the first, class to come through and be eligible for a postseason first opportunity to win a GSC championship, all those pieces in there. Uh, you know, so definitely it was it was a big piece of the puzzle. And and then, you know, just uh, you know, there was a portion of guys that were sticking around in their last year or two. And so they could have easily transferred out. They could have easily went somewhere else, you know, to play for a championship and they stuck with us and you know I'll forever appreciate it from that group of guys. How were your trips to Lewiston? I mean, your second year as a head coach, you guys won 63 games. You finished runner-up that year. Is that an NAI record for wins? So, I don't know if it is or isn't. I've never I didn't really look. Looked. I wanted to look. I'm like, 63 wins. So, it's funny because, you know, to win that many games, you got to have a great year, number one. But number two, like, we, we played to the max of every tournament. So we went to the conference tournament. We played to the championship game in the conference tournament. We went to the region. We played to the championship of the region. We went to the super region. We played to the championship. Then we went to the World Series and we played to the championship. So it was crazy. It was a great year. Uh, but, I mean, Lewiston, you know, for anybody that has not experienced it. Last year was my first mo- year. It's the most amazing it's so much thing fun. I've ever seen in my life, how a community – comes together in that one and a half week uh, weeks of baseball and you know you're sitting there and even if lc state's not playing in the night game there's still three four thousand people sitting there you know if they're playing it's six seven thousand so you know and we've had the good fortune of playing them multiple times in that night game in a great environment and and having that opportunity uh, it was awesome. You know, we made trips from 2007 through 2013 every year. So we got to know some great people out there. Uh, still keep up with them to the to today. You know, just your host fan, your host uh, business or family, however you want to call it. Uh, you know, just awesome people that do a great job administrating it. So, you know, it's uh, you know, I, we haven't been to Cary yet. We hope to get there soon. You know, I've been to Omaha to watch as a as a patron, you know, and, and it's all obviously a clearly a great experience. And I've not been out to Grand Junction. You know, I've been to Enid. I've been to, uh, you know, where 
Tusculum was hosting up in Greenville for the Division Three. You know, so I've seen a lot. You know, and I can't imagine many being better than than that environment. I really like their opening ceremonies, how they let the games play out, and then they do it right before the night game on the first day. I think that's honestly the best way to do the opening ceremonies. Yeah, yeah there's no great way to do it, but they they do a really good job administrating it. Everybody feels cared for, yep. you know, everybody loves the experience. You know, you get to, they, they, they've got a system where all the teams are out on the field and, you know, and it's a part of the pregame for that, that final night game, you know, that. And the evening. ABCA camp, like that's, yeah. the, that's a yep. cool thing. Like that, awesome. that, that ABCA you camps know. had a lot of tradition, you know, the night, yep. the day before, night before, like that, that's yeah. a unique thing to that tournament that. Yep. There's an ABCA sponsored clinic going on before the tournament starts. One hundred percent. You know, our, our players that gets more people to show up too. You're going to get those kids yeah. excited about going to watch. Those it does teams. it does? And we we had you know actually to date myself all the way back to Tulsa, Oklahoma. You know where the NAI World Series was there. I think Coach Alltop was one of the founding coaches of that ABCA clinic, and I was able to, as an assistant coach to accompany him to Tulsa. It was my kind of first experience of a NAI World Series, and and you know, so I've seen it when it's not been in Lewiston, and I've seen it when it's been in Lewiston. And I can tell you right now, it's way better where it's at right now. And uh, and it, it should be there. Yeah. So, Any Ed Chef stories? Oh, wow. Uh, you know, i tell you what. First of all, like, what a tremendous coach. You know, what a tremendous, uh, you know, the battles we had with him were great. He probably got the upper hand on us more than we did, you know, out there. But we got him a couple times. And. Uh, you know, just the aura around him, like just how he hits infield outfield, how they, you know, everything's orchestrated, the throwing piece and things like that, you know, and, and of course you hear the, the old stories. I don't know how many of them are true or not, but there's, there's some things. They are. Know, Cause I you know, interviewed the, Jake Taylor so, last yeah, year. And I played I mean, for him in tough, those, those pure, pure mental toughness, pure <laughs> mental toughness. And <laughs> like, it's hard to out tough his team. Like it really is. And so, you know, I guess what you have left to do is outplay them. So that's about it. Have you had to adjust your coaching style over the years at all? I, I think naturally my coaching styles adjusted just in regards to, um, you know, I won't say I'm older and wiser. That's probably a poor, poor, poor term. Older, yes. Wiser, maybe not. But, you know, at the same time, like I think I realized a long time ago as I was, like I said, I was beating my head against the wall trying to have success and, and then I started to realize like, hey, you know, we can we can do this in a two and a half hour window, even though the NCAA may give us four hours in a day to practice, you know. And, and so we, we tried to go more high energy, high intensity in practice, uh, try to uh, push guys to to go faster and, 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 and then, you know, get off the field quicker you know, keep our bodies a little fresher instead of having that long day. Cause part of, you know, our long days are scrimmages now when you, you have a lot of guys going to the mound and, you know, that obviously is naturally going to lead itself to a, a longer window. But I think I've definitely changed. I think we've definitely, obviously the game has changed in regards to tech, you know, and, and I like to, uh, I got a quote on my desk. It says pride makes you defensive and close to change. And so, you know, if, if you think you've got it figured out, you think you've always done it this way and it will always work that way, you're getting ready to be humbled. And and the game is ever evolving. And for for me, though I don't claim to know everything about tech, I don't claim to know everything about cutting edge coaching techniques. You know, I do think we've tried to implement a lot of things and to keep 
moving forward and progressively in those areas. And so, uh, so I think that's been something that has been a challenge for me, but I also think, you know, we all know that growth comes outside of your comfort, comfort zone. So, you know, for us as, as a staff and as a, as a program, I think it's allowed us to, to grow more, to expand more, to attract maybe a player that maybe we normally wouldn't have, you know, attracted because of our uh, forward thinking. I mean, what tech have you dove into? What do you think like has been most beneficial for you all? Yeah, I mean, we, we've done blast sensors for ba- for the batter for the hitters. Um, we've done, uh, you know, we do rap soto consistently. You know, with our pitchers, uh, we obviously have gone into the the game changer armbands, arm signs. You know, for the for the system of pitch calling and things like that. Because you know, naturally, you know, everybody's trying to gain advantages in this game. You know, pace of play has become a big uh, big topic, and 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 so you know, keeping up and not getting dinged by that, but also being able to to get your side sequence in without getting picked. You know, that's the biggest getting, thing, like the pitch comp know, stuff. I think that's yeah, where it's changed. Yeah. I think it'll go to the offensive side eventually yeah. too, because the same thing, you don't have to worry about the opposing yeah. team picking your signs with the pitch comp stuff. Yeah, naturally, I think that's where it'll progress. I think it, I can see it a point where either the armband or a point where pitch comp goes into the ear and goes into even a hitter's helmet. And, you know, and, and the game is just totally revolutionized. Because football's be been that, doing it forever. Yeah, yeah. and you're right. Effort. I mean, you know, you know, like I said, every, other sports are already doing this, and, and you can see it work. And so, you know, for baseball to lag behind, like, I mean, even Major League Baseball, like what they say, the attendance is up more this year than it ever has been after they got destroyed yes. in the preseason <laughs> about, you know, about all the changes. And so – you know, it's it's been great. I think the nat- the normal fan, not the not the, you know, diehard, you know, baseball person who's tradi- steeped in tradition, you know, but the normal fan who just wants to go to a game and have fun with their family and then get out of there at a reasonable hour has been able to do that now. We and need to so, get Taylor Swift to so, date a baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it would bring a whole whole different clientele into that to this market. So uh, for sure. Do you have standards for the program? Absolutely. I think everybody, I think that's a good way to say it is standards. Like I think people will call them rules. Like I don't like rules. Like rules involve you having to you specifically do something. A standard is an expectation. Like it's what it is. And we just say the standard is the standard. Whatever we said is that bar, you know, and, and that's that's what everybody should be at, you know, the minimum of what we should be at. And so, you know, whether it's something as simple as, is our appearance, you know, or something as simple as, you know, how we play on the field and get on and off the field and how we compete and, and things like that. You know, every coach has a differing uh, opinion on this and differing standards, but I think I would be shocked if any coach says they don't have any, you know, I think everybody does. I think everybody knows what they're supposed to look like, you know, and that's our job as coaches, like to, to, to teach, teach our kids, you know, like, listen, you know, there, you don't, always get to walk out in the world and do what you want to do. Exactly. You know, there's an expectation, a standard in every business office you go into, every education, you know, scenario you go into, whether, you know, whatever that job vocation is, there's going to be a standard and an expectation when you get there. And so, you know, for them to be more adaptable, you know, and being able to change and and quickly into that environment is, is very important life skill. 
And so I want to make sure they, they know that that's a part of what they have to do. And I pay attention to the little things still. And that was the thing that stuck out at, in Lewiston is Lewis Clark State's players were polishing their shoes before the game. Like, and I told yeah. Coach Taylor that I'm like, for me, like, that's a, that's still an important thing for me. Their guys were cleaning their shoes before <laughs> so, the game. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's, you know, that you're talking about, you know, culture and tradition and standard, you know, that program could arguably be the staple, you know, I think for, for any level of college you know, baseball, yeah. I think Vanderbilt's up there too. Coach Corbin does a tremendous job in that area. Uh, you know, but I think, you know, over the history of time, like I feel like that program alone has been unchanged in regards to some of the things they do. They probably are still, and, and, and they were, they were a new school before teams were a new school in regards to their, thinking like setting up jugs machines, throwing 88 Monarch sliders when they knew they were going to face a guy that was that. Now, you know, people have just thrown traditional BP back then and and said, we well, we just can't hit the guy. You know, for them, it was figuring out a way how they could compete and win that game. And so they set up the most realistic environment they could, you know. And so, you know, I think it's, it's, it, it's, it's taken a while to get into this side of the game, but – I think now you'd be shocked to find teams that aren't using hack attacks or jugs machines or things like that and creating velo and spin rate and, you know, heavy breaking balls and things like that. Did your master's in sports science help you? Uh, I think it has. Like, I really do. Uh, you know, for me, that was a coach all top thing. He kept telling me, he's like, hey, you want to coach at this level? You know, a lot of times there's a master's requirement you know, for a head coach and things like that. Cause sometimes there's, there's some teaching responsibilities, which there was at Lee at the time. Now, fortunately the school has decided to navigate away from that in the NCAA era, you know, where they don't, they don't ask coaches to teach. Uh, but at the same time, like for me, I, I was able to see something in that experience in regards to uh, different methodologies of coaching, uh, things like that, you know, learning from, John Wooden. I remember a book I read in my master's, you know, and, and I knew who John Wooden was, but I'd never really studied him, you know, and, and some of the things he brought to the table in regards to, you know, how to coach and how to impact people and things like that. And the pyramid and so, coaching pyramid. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And so, so things like that, even sports agents, something I never thought would be an issue that I would need to know. And, and we've been blessed to have, 30 plus guys in my time sign contracts and, and, you know, in, in, in a, a two fourth rounders and a seventh rounder. And so, you know, for me, it was like, I didn't give those guys advice, but I was able to give them some nuts and bolts, you know, of, of Hey, yeah, you probably need to get an advisor. You probably need to, you know, seek out some counsel here because, you know, this is, this is a little bigger than me. It's a little bigger than you and you want to make sure you're being treated fairly and, and those things. And so, you know, something as simple as a class like that, that I thought I was just taking as an elective class because I thought, oh, that would be cool, you know, has helped me out a little bit in regards to just, you know, giving guys some 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 of the behind the scenes type stuff. What are your thoughts about being named the Dave Kylitz Ethics and Coaching Award winner this yeah. year? Yeah. Um, you know, when, when I first heard, um, I, I, to be honest with you, like, I, wow, you know, it's a big wow factor, uh, a lot of humility. Uh, first of all, you know, a quick backstory with Dave Kylitz, like as a young coach roaming the halls of the ABCA, 
and and seeing this guy on the stage at honors luncheons at at hall of fame dinners and you know on the this main stage and like you're just like who's this guy who's this mythical guy you know and you see him up there and then i had an opportunity to pass by him in the halls one day and he was talking to somebody and i was kind of talking to somebody else and i came out of that conversation and he came out of that conversation and he will probably never remember this because he's probably had a million conversations but he took the time for like 20 minutes to talk to me as a young coach and talk about where I was and what I was doing and, you know, my goals and desires and things like that. And I'm like, wow, you know, here's a guy that's ahead of this, you know, that taking his moment, he's got a meeting to be to, he's in a full suit, you know, he's getting somewhere, you know, so, you know, it meant a lot to me in that moment, you know, little did I know full circle back here to, to today, you know, I get that notification and I'm like, wow, you know, just to think of what what I kind of verbiage like integrity, you know, character, you know, just everything I learned through Coach Alltop and him being in some areas and some board board meetings and things like that of of who Dave Collins was behind the scenes was clearly who he was in the in the in every situation. And so all you need um, to know about Dave is he yeah. still handwrites thank you notes. Yes, like, man, and, you still and get them from him. Literally, him and Norm DeBrine were my two guys yeah. when I was coming yeah. out. That if you called yeah. them, they had no business calling me back. They didn't have to, but they did. Yeah. Those two guys were the two guys that I knew that if I called them and I needed something, they eventually would call me back. Yeah, and I mean, literally, as on cue, as you said, like when the announcement came out and I was notified within three days, I had a handwritten note from Dave Collins himself, you know, congratulating me. And, and I mean, I, I should be congratulating him, you know, for, for all of his contributions to our game and, and, and the coaching fraternity and things like that. And so many more places that we don't, we see, we don't see where he is and, and, and helping shape the, the game and things like that. But yeah, it was, it was, it was amazing. And, uh, you know, a little bit of, feeling inadequate, you know, to live up to that type of person. And, and so, but certainly honored and, and, and super excited that, that someone thought enough about me to, to throw my name in there. And then, then, then then a committee of people thought enough about me to, to, to say that I was deserving of it. And looking at your roster, it seems like it's still majority of high school kids. You've got Mm -hmm. some transfers and some four-year transfers mixed in, but still majority of high school kids. Yeah, for us, you know, the high school window has been the biggest window for us. And and in in a post-COVID era, to be honest with you, there's some really, really good high school players out there right now. The portal is raging, uh, you know, though you could sit on there and try to pick kids off the portal. You know, like for us, like I like the opportunity of having that impact and influence in a, you know, in a four-year window. Uh, you know, some of our best players on our roster have been guys that have come straight out of high school, you know, um, you know, so for us, it's been that model and that, that methodology to keep going. We've got a few portal kids. We've got a handful of JC transfers, but you know, the majority of it is high school kids. You know, we have our prospect camp coming up at the end of the month. And like I tell kids all the time, you know, cause a lot of people think prospect camps are money makers, you know, and though it helps our program financially, helps our assistant coaches financially for us, like it's become our biggest window into one of our biggest recruiting recruiting items. So uh, we'll sign, you know, over the next two years from this year's prospect camp, I guarantee you there'll be six to eight kids there that will. We always sign kids out of our camp, always, because one, you had a chance to work with kids. 
Yeah, that absolutely. That was a big piece to see if they so, could actually handle your coaching style and if they were going to be a good fit. Yeah, 100%. And so, uh, so it's been big for us and been big for our program and, uh, you know, a good provider of, of a lot of our players. I think I looked at our roster and over 70% of our incoming freshmen have been to a prospect camp at some point in time. When you were transitioning to Division Two, were there any Division Two private schools that you reached out to to be like, "Hey, do you have any tips for for making this transition?" You know, um, I probably didn't. I probably reached out to more some the coaches in our conference. To be honest with you, uh, I didn't know them real well. Um, you know, um, I knew a few, a handful of guys in regards to professionally, but I didn't know them well, and I was very. Uh, honored that they took a moment to give me some advice, give me some pieces of the puzzle. I figured if I was going to be competing against them, I might as well, you know, ask them some things about process, about, you know, things like that. And so, you know, they were all very uh, good about that. And, I, you know, I could have easily, they could have easily been guarded. They could have easily been, here comes another competitor in the league, you know, as far as that goes. And, you know, I don't need to help them out. But I think that shows a difference in the coaching world that baseball has versus maybe, you know, basketball or base or football. You know, I think a lot of times in the coaching world where, you know, we're sharing like our convention, you look at it, it's just like, you got a side session over here. You got a main stage, you got the, you know, the, you know, all these different venues going on. And, you know, you may have just people in the lobby talking, you know, it's like, and it's not immune to level. It's not immune to anything. You know, I've gotten in conversations with, high-level Division One coaches, and I've gotten into conversations with travel ball coaches and, and middle school coaches. And so, you know, it's all been the same. Everybody just has passion to learn. And then I hear my counterparts with basketball is like, yeah, well, I don't, I don't get to see this coach or we don't get to talk. We don't usually get to shake hands. They get whisked out, you know, behind the scenes and things like that. And I get it. You know, there's a different microscope maybe on those people. But, you know, at the same, th same time, like, Hey, we're all trying to grow the sport. We're all trying to improve the sport. And, you know, end of the day, the plate's 17 inches, as the famous John Scalino said. And, and you know, it's what it is. It's always been that way. So there's nothing changing in regards to that piece of the game, just maybe how we get there. Is that a benefit with, with high school kids? Because you have all fall. I always felt like that was the benefit with baseball is you're not competing until the spring. So you have an entire fall to try to get them acclimated and ready to compete. Yeah, I, it's huge for us. I mean, it's a big window. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of scrimmaging, a lot of opportunity to work with them in practice and, uh, you know, get them to up to speed with the game speed of the game. Because that's, that's probably the biggest difference. I tell them all the time, like, you you come in, it's not ability that's the difference between you and our, say, our seniors. You know, you have a talent just like they do. They have experience, they have maturation, and they have probably more time, more years in the strength program with us and so you know well you control what you control the strength is a big piece of the puzzle you know you're pounding the weight room you're getting caught up there and then on the field obviously you're getting reps and you're you're getting that information and it's it can be a little bit of information overload so you got to be careful with freshmen you know that you don't get them you know what we call sped up a little bit in regards to uh not being able to manage situations and things like that you know they need to learn how to process it and uh, and do a good job with it. So fortunately for us, we've been able to get a, a lot of good players. And I think also freshmen are more impressionable in regards to, like when we get a transfer, usually they're a product of, especially on the hitting side, 
where they were. So junior colleges, you see a ton of fastballs. Like, you know, it's just the way it is in that environment. So they learn to hit fastball, which is okay. But our league can be a lot more pitch backwards mix, you know, and so they they have their fall is a nightmare sometimes, you know, struggle because they don't they don't come up to speed. Whereas the freshmen, like they don't have any background or base on that level. So they're they're ready to listen to whatever thing you know, you tell them and how you want to grow them and how you want to develop them. And, and so, you know, so it's definitely been awesome. Uh, you know, I love that, that opportunity to have that experience with them and, uh, you know, for four years. So you say you guys competed. So what does it look like when they first show up on campus for y'all as far as team meetings, when do you start team practice, individual sessions? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, First of all, you know, Division Two has a four-year, four-year, four-day window uh, that we're not allowed to touch them. So, you know, it's an acclimation process to class, and understandably so, a lot of them are trying to just figure out where the classroom is at that point in time. And so, it gives them that window to do that, that opportunity to do that. You know, we'll have some meetings just on some general academic expectations and things like that in that window, but we're not allowed to talk about baseball until that fourth day. And so. When you hit that fourth day, you know, we spend about three weeks in skill. You know, skill is smaller sessions, you know, opportunity to teach the verbiage, opportunity to teach, uh, you know, routines and things like that and a smaller setting so they're not overwhelmed by it. Um, and then, you know, meetings, you know, kind of going over hitting philosophy, pitching philosophy, some defensive routines and things like that and allows us the window Base running, we hit hard, you know, because, like, listen, I think the, the it's one of the most neglected parts of coaching in the Look game. Look at the big leagues um, now. And Those guys so, make yeah. so many base so, running mistakes now, and they're the yeah, best one, we have. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And sometimes they're the worst examples. And and so, you know, things like that, we, we don't want to take, uh, you know, uh, with, with casualness. We want to make sure we're serious about it. So, Spend about three weeks in that, and then we come out of that and take go into our fall practice session, which is where we currently reside, and we'll be in there till the first of November. And uh, you know, we get thirty three practice dates in a forty five day window, uh, and then we come back out of that. We'll go straight back into that skill. And the post practice is more of a okay. Now, what are the things we need to improve? You know, what are those individual skills we need over the next three or four weeks until we hit Christmas break that we need to improve? And, and so. It allows them a good snapshot, kind of getting caught up to speed in that first three weeks, getting the team setting, you know, for a month and a half and then coming out of it and getting a little bit more uh, knowledge and information on the back end uh, as far as that goes. And then, you know, obviously get that small break for us this year. We get a uh, we're taking our team to the Dominican Republic on December uh, 6th to the 14th. And so, you know, we're super excited about that. Number one, just Is that the first time you've you know, done that. This will be our third trip. So. Uh, so super excited because it's a, uh, opportunity in a country that number one, we all know baseball's king, you know, it is. And so you go down there, you automatically got a platform and an opportunity to, to wade into the country and, and have an opportunity to impact them. We do clinics, we do opportunities to share, we visit, you know, uh, orphanages and, and just, you know, some's humanitarian, some's faith-based and some is, uh, baseball and so we want to mesh it all together and that's a have big a great team building trip down. correct so it'd be a great team building trip, trip. It'd be tremendous and so 
we worked hard. We're working our butts off on fundraising <laughs> and all those things that have to happen to, to make a trip like this happen. But uh, we've had some super people step up. The players have families have stepped up. And so, so we're, with that being said, we're going to make that trip and, uh, you know, have a great opportunity there to, you know, have an extra week and a half basically that we normally wouldn't have had. And, uh, you know, right there. And then we'll break for Christmas. And, you know, before we know it, you know, we're rolling. You know, we're, you know, February 1st is, or first week of February is our opener as, as D2 and, you know, the big boys D1 a couple weeks later. So, uh, so we're excited about that. When do you start talking about roles with your players? Yeah, I mean, they're evolving right now. I, I think it's hard to talk about it in the fall, at least initially early, uh, because, you know, some people have no track record. And I, we tell our guys, you know, the biggest part of the recruiting process, the biggest question I get asked is, how do I get on the field early in my career? You know, what, what's, how do, you know, where do you see me at in playing time and things like that? It's a fair question, you know, cause they want to know, well, for us, the answer is, is, is simple. Like, you know, players say, uh, play me and I'll show you coach. And I say, you show me and I'll play you. Like every day you pick up a ball, every day you take BP, every day you bullpen, every day you scrimmage, you're showing me a lot. And so we, we, from the, what we could consider our top returning pitcher to maybe the lowest guy on the depth chart, we'll get the same amount of innings in the fall. Same thing on that bats, you know, because we want the te- the litmus test to be the same across the board. And so, you know, so that's their their way and their opportunity and their their path to learning and to growing and to to doing that. But back to roles, like I think once we've got out of fall practice, I think we have an initial conversation about it. You know about hey, here's some things you need to work on. Here's some things you need to be to improve as a player, uh, whether it's physical or whether it's mental or whether it's you know some of our academic conversations and things like that. You know that all weigh into decision making in in regards to to playing time. And so you, know, you want to have that opportunity for them to be able to respond. You know, so if they never know until they show up in January you know, and, and it's almost too late in their minds, you know, to make adjustments and to make change and things like that. So, so it's a post-fall conversation for us in regards to team practice and then uh, allowing them to hopefully make some, uh, some necessary adjustments. Have you adjusted your in-game responsibilities at all over the years? Uh, yes. I coached third base originally. Um, you know, I don't even know what year it was. I just made a decision that I was having a hard time managing bullpen and and the the offense. And so we use on the zone right now for the armbands and things like that. So I can call that from the dugout. I'm like, you know, I'm I'm really putting myself in a situation where I'm making what three, four calls to advance a runner a game at third base, you know, and and you know, over being able to be in the dugout have a feel for what's going on in there, have a feel for being able to manage the bullpen. Because a lot of times the bullpen is going on or you needing to flip the situation when a big offensive inning happens, you know, you know, like we've had pitchers that be throwing a one, nothing shutout and, you know, in the seventh inning and all of a sudden, you know, you get a seven run outburst and they're sitting over there, sitting over there, sitting over there at 90 pitches, and you're like, this just ain't probably going to be good to send them back out. But you're screaming at your pitching coach across the field to to get somebody rolling, and you know, and so it, it's just not good. And so it just that's probably the main change I have made in regards to in-game coaching. I still do defensive positioning. Um, you know, it's my thing. Uh, we we do six four three charts. You know, we do 
things that we invest in. We do a lot of, uh, you know, scouting reports and things like that. So, you know, if we're going to have this information, I want to be able to implement it. And my pitching coach is calling pitches and, and my hitting coach is usually communicating with hitters, though he could probably, uh, you know, do this. He's talking to bench personnel, uh, things like that about possible pinch hit stuff. So it's just my thing, you know, as, as far as that goes. So that's probably the, those main things. I saw a picture on the website. So how do you handle your senior day? You know, it's changed. It's it, we, 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 we strictly had no senior day up until co- post-COVID. And we, we always do a parents weekend and then we honor seniors there, uh, you know, but I kind of felt like, you know, in COVID we did, we weren't able to do those, those parents dinners and, and that opportunity. So we did, we re-implemented the senior day on the field and I thought, well, moving forward, we better, we'll just do it both places. You know, we'll still have the parents weekend. We'll still have the opportunity to honor them there in front of all the families, but we'll still do it in the final senior home weekend, you know, that is tradition for most teams. So are you doing um, after, so, after the game? So we do it in the middle of a doubleheader usually, or I'm sorry, pre, pre doubleheader. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, usually I have a Saturday doubleheader. We'll usually go out, you know, uh, you know, probably before the pregame introductions as far as that goes. So. Yeah. Or Roberts does it after the game. I thought that was yeah. actually a pretty good idea. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. you know, it's emotional for those guys, emotional for the parents, it is. emotional for the coaches. Yeah, it's, it's as, not as a bad like, idea. So yeah, yeah it's it, it is a, is a, is a gut wrenching day and, yeah. you know, bringing closure to it and, you know, for us, I mean, obviously you hope postseason is still ongoing. You hope you have that opportunity in front of you. You know, the biggest thing that we've had to implement and to honor them is commencement. Like graduation is usually at our conference tournament. And so we're not on campus. And so we we have a, a faculty mentor, Dr. Jason Robinson. And as a, as a representative of the school, he drives down to our conference tournament site and confers the degrees on site. And so we have a ceremony either in a hotel lobby or uh, uh, we've gone out to the park. They got a nice gazebo out on a lake. We've done all kinds of things. And so it's just a way to say, you know, number one, that completion of that, that piece. And so, you know, and obviously as a coach, you know, you know, that's an exciting moment, you know, for families and for the player and for us personally, like it's a, the culmination of the academic experience. You have a great stadium at Lee. Did you have to do fundraising for that, or the university take so, care of it? Fortunately for us, the university self-funded. Dr. Oh, Connor, awesome. that at 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 the time, you know, it was always on the drawing board for a long time. Even when Coach Alltop was the head coach here, it was on the drawing board, and and it really, I can remember, we were getting ready to go to the conference tournament, and we were practicing, and I think it was 2018, and. Uh, this bus pulls up and that's around like the week of commencement because we're getting ready to leave and go. And the board of directors are in town and they do do meetings around that. And so all these suits start jumping off this bus. And I'm like, well, this is interesting. Either I'm going to be fired or, uh, you know, something's going, they're going to tell me baseball has been, you know, canceled or whatever. And then our president walks out leading all these guys and we're taking BPs. So I like, had to shut down BP. And so, you know, so he walks out there and says, hey, coach, he said, you know, just letting you know that, you know, we've had a board meeting and it's official now. We're going to build the stadium next year. And so I was like, that's awesome. You know, this is dream come true because it's been there for a while. It has been a big, big asset for us in the recruiting process and obviously player experience. Our locker room's great. You know, some of the things we have with it are great. And so uh, it's been a big, big, big uh, 
you know, improvement for our program. You have two kids, correct? I do. I mean, how I did do. you incorporate so, everybody with your family into the program? You know, bus rides, like we, we homeschooled, we made a decision to homeschool our kids. My wife's a teacher, uh, you know, for us, it was, um, you know, bringing them to the field, bringing them to the road trips. And, and so very blessed and very fortunate. We had the opportunity to do that. Wouldn't have changed anything for the world, you know, uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's awesome. Been a great experience and, you know, they've grown up around the field all their life. And so, uh, so that's been awesome. You know, my daughter's a freshman at Bryan College now playing volleyball. My son's a senior here in town, uh, you know, left-handed pitcher. So, so super excited. Is he going to play for you? Well, I, I can neither confirm nor deny that <laughs> via NCAA rules. <laughs> I'll let you read into that however you want to. <laughs> I, I, Cause I, you know, I grew up with it. So I'm fascinated by the, the, the father son relationship just cause I grew up in it and I did it and I participated in it as a player and I would go back and do it again. I, I tell coaches that all the time that have kids. I'm like, if you need me to talk to your son, I will do it. And I will tell yeah. them, I know everybody does it a little different, but I do feel like for the son and for the dad, it's if you have that opportunity, if they're good enough, it is the best thing that you'll ever experience. And when you look at like historically, that's usually one loss record wise. It's usually the sure. best four year span that a coach mm -hmm. has with his kid on the team. Cause I think it, I think it shows a different side to the players in the program too. just, I just think it opens a lot of things up again. If, if, if it works, I would, I would highly recommend it to anybody to yeah. coach their no, kids. It's great advice. And I've sought out that advice from lots of people. It's hard. It is dinner. really hard. It's difficult. So, um, the natural probably... fear of a, of a young man coming into a program playing for his dad is, is, well, I'll be accepted into the locker room for sure. Yeah, you know? and, and I'm then, glad I grew up in the era yeah. that I did. You so, didn't have social yeah. media. Like, there's so, a lot of yeah. other factors now yeah. that factor into that because of outside noise, where sure. we didn't really have to worry about that. And no, you're the right. You're right. One hundred percent. So, yep. Any recommendations for young coaches trying to get in? I mean, get involved, you know, like in whatever capacity you can. Like, I mean, we all it, it's the start that stops most. You know, like you, you just got to get going, like whatever you got to do to take those steps, you know, volunteering, grad assistant, going to a high school and volunteering, you know, whatever you got to do to get into that window, you know, it's awesome. You know, no, very rarely does somebody get a great opportunity in their first job or first opportunity, you know, so it's just getting started and, and then plugging in like to the ABCA and plugging into resources and things like that to help grow yourself, you know, as, as a, a young coach, you know, and it could be an older coach. Like, I mean, I, I've heard uh, our lacrosse coach here started his lacrosse coaching career because he had a, a professional FBI and, and, and law enforcement career much later in his life because his daughter was involved in it. And so he became our head coach here. And so, you know, so things like that, like, or like, don't let any, variables or, or hindrances stop you, you know, just, just go. And if it's really what you want to get into, get involved, you know, people, talk to people, you know, and coaches are sharing. It's a sharing community, as we talked about earlier. You know, like, I think if you reach out, I think you'll get some responses of how to get in, how to do things, whether you want to shadow somebody to practice. I know Tim Corbin has been tremendous with that in regards to, you know, I've had assistants that want to see how other things are done and they'll just go up and, Watch him practice for a day, 
sit in the stands, you know, and, uh, you know, so it's, it's awesome stuff. Like I said, it's just a different world in the baseball world. Yeah, that was interesting. For me, when I was playing at Evansville my senior year, we had a fall break. So I went to the University of Florida to, to experience Gator Growl, their homecoming. But Florida was practicing, and Andy Lopez was the coach at, at Florida yeah. at the time. And I didn't go introduce myself, but I, I watched that whole yeah. practice, and I learned a lot. He, yeah. he had a screen set up in center field. He was in the middle of the field, the entire inner squad, coaching from yeah. center yep. field so he could be on top of the defenders. It was awesome. 100%. Like you, the dugout sometimes is the worst view yes. for a coach because that's the only view we get in a game. Yes. And so like I, I, when I scrimmage, we scrimmage, I wander around. Like I'm all over. Like I, 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 you'll see me in center field. You'll see me in third base. You'll see me at first base. You'll see me behind the backstop. And like it just is different, different views for me. And I think it's, a, it's an important point. You, know, you talked about the portal a little bit and you're going through it. You've got a high school age kid. I mean, for parents and players out there that are maybe, you know, disheartened by the portal, I, I don't think it has to be a thing because I still think there's options for high school kids out there. You're a great example of that. What advice would you give to a high school kid and a parent right now? Yeah. I mean, obviously the cliche says get the best fit, you know, like, I mean, you know, the, and it, it's, it's so true. Like I think, we rushed to win the press conference, you know, we rushed to win the social media, um, you know, whatever you want to put out there in regards to I'm committing to XYZ University, you know, like really do your due diligence, like go out, visit. Sometimes doors will be closed, doors will be opened, you know, and and, and make it obvious and, and have pointed conversations with coaches like when you're being recruited about, you know, personnel and things like that and how many portal players they do bring in like I think it's a fair question in today's environment like you know like and you can look that up a lot of times on your own but you know it's at readily the same available time, like, online if yeah you it's, do it's, the research. it's readily if available. you see they're bringing in you know 20 portal guys a year well it's a good chance they're losing how many portal guys a year you know so it, it's it's a natural thought process so find schools that kids are having consistency at you know and and if that's your your desire, uh, you know, but kids are betting on themselves and, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, you know, by, by all means, that's, I'd rather have that mindset than somebody who's very cautious in their approach, but, uh, but there's certainly got to be some checks and balances involved there in regards to how you go through and navigate that process. Cause you want to make sure that, you know, it's this, it's what is right for you. There's nothing better than a great four year experience. There's nothing better than that. So these guys are going to be your, you know, best man in your wedding. You know, they be some of the best friends of your life, you know, and then, you know, I'm even on a group chat with high school guys, you know, and, and some of us went to college together. And, and so it's like we shared a lot of the same experiences and we still talk about those today. So, so it's awesome. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now, it helped you move forward? Um. Were you in the real world for a little bit? Were you working a real job for a little bit before you got into coaching? <laughs> no, there's just a lot of fail forward moments. Uh, you know, I use this as Coach Altop's teaching moment for me. Like as a young coach, I had an assistant coach. I had a lot of things figured out as most people do, right? You know, and for me, like he would, we'd have meetings, you know, weekly and go over practice and go over things. And, and one time in particular, he kept bringing something up and I kept forgetting it. And like, I never wrote it down. 
And finally, one time he was like, listen, get a piece of pen, get a pen, get a piece of paper and write it down on the paper and then execute it. You know, and I'm like, it was a big moment for me. Now, you know, my desk is it's, it's a check sheet. You know, it's it's uh, stuff that I have to get done. And from that point forward, it changed kind of my mindset in regards to, you know, making sure I had everything covered. And I still miss things. But at the same time, like, you know, like you can't remember everything in your mind. You can't, you know, it's you got to have a routine uh, as Brian Kane would say, the routine is the foundation of all success. And it is. It's like if you don't have one and you can't go through it, you know, you're going to be all over the place as a coach. And so that's something I had to learn as a young coach and had to grow as a young coach and, and make sure I could handle. Yeah, that's in my talk for peak performance and habit building mm -hmm. that I give at the clinics. You know, you're three mm -hmm. times more likely to remember something if you write it down. But also everything that I have to do goes in my Google calendar. And if it's not in there, it does not exist. It, I just think it <laughs> yeah. takes so. it, it frees more time up if you can plan your week out and, and check things off. I think it allows you to have more free time where if you don't have some system in place to keep you organized, you're going to drink from the fire hose most days. And, and like that, you are going to miss things. You're going to lose things. And for me, I just, I get, I'm very paranoid about letting things slide. So I have to try yeah. to keep myself in check some way. Yeah, no question. No question. Very important life skill. Yeah. So do you have any more morning routines, evening routines that you do every yeah. day that you like? Morning routine for me is get up. I like spend some quiet time, you know, uh, you know, with, with a few things, collect my thoughts for the day. You know, people call it meditation. I'll call it prayer and, and opportunity to kind of get grounded for the day. Uh, you know, and then I usually like to try to get a one or two mile run in. It allows me that same opportunity just to have some opportunity to collect my thoughts and think about the day think about practice, think about what things we're going to try to accomplish that day. I don't feel like I think about it when I run. I feel like I think about surviving the run, you know, but, uh, but at the same time, like I, I does clear me up. It does allow me the opportunity to, uh, to, you know, get all that done and get collected for the day. If I, if I don't get all that done by say 8 AM, it's a bad day for me usually. Like it's just a bad day because I feel like I'm behind. I feel like I'm missing stuff and things like that. And so that's my routine. Uh, you know, for me, I'm, I'm pretty routine oriented. Uh, so, you know, it's our guys would probably say I'm pretty regimented in regards to things like that. Discipline but, is freedom. Uh, so, Discipline yeah. So freedom. it's just just the way I operate and, and it allows me to to get ready for the day and, you know, carry out everything. And, I, you know, my goal is to try to accomplish every task before noon and then I can focus clearly on practice at that point in time. I don't have anything administratively office responsibility waiting on me or anything like that. You know, I can strictly focus on practice and and then go home and hang out with my family. So will this be a different convention for you since you're being honored? Uh, it is, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I get a little angst about going up on the stage. You know, like that's a, uh, you know, that's one of my first thoughts is going back. Like, you know, I've never been on the main stage before. It's like, uh, it's, uh, I've been close to it, but I've been on it. <laughs> I've watched it. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, but it's, yeah, it'll be special, you know, obviously, you know, and, and like I said, I can't thank uh, the people that nominated me enough. I can't thank the committee enough. Uh, and I can't thank the namesake of the award, Dave Kyle, it's enough, you know, just because, 
you know, he's, he's done so much for this profession and in a simple conversation he had with me multiple years ago, you know, made a mark on me and, uh, you know, as a coach. And so I've tried to stay uh, engaged in conversation when I have that opportunity to talk to people. Cause like, he, I'm sure he had somewhere to go, but he took the time to talk to me. So any changes you'd like to see going forward for division two? Um, you know, regionalization, uh, you know, is a model that D2 has hung its hat on. I would love a day where, you know, we, you know, NAI got it right, you know, when they went to the opening round and then moving teams around and you're staying out of your uh, conference and, and things like that, unless a rarity happens, you know, that's the next step for me. You know, obviously expansion of the field, you know, to 64 would be awesome. I get it. Everything revolves around the almighty dollar, uh, you know, but I think if they were to be creative, I think they could come up with a plan that probably in the end of the day wouldn't cost them much more, you know, in regards to moving teams around and, and things like that, even if it's taking just two regions and, and taking a one, four, five and eight of one region and flipping them over. But I know we, we'd have to get to 64 for that to work, you know, cause some regions are, uh, have an uneven number right now, either you're either six, seven or eight members in your region tournament. So um, those are the type of things I would like to see uh, moving forward. I think. I know they you know, do like use now, like participation as part of that too, though. Like however many teams you have competing that get, it is. again, that's still, that's a, that's an excuse to not spend more money. Yeah. It's the old access ratio <laughs> argument that they throw out there every time. And like, I get it. Like, I mean, listen, I, you know, I, I've gone on committee committees, you know, to number one, I wanted to help the game, but number two, I want to learn about the behind the scenes of what happened. You know, I was on the NCAA rules committee until this year, I, I rotated off. And so part of it for me was growing and learning like the, how does this happen? How does this rule change happen? How did this, these things come apart? You know, cause I think, you know, truth be told, I think the NCAA gets a, a black eye in some instances in regards to, you know, they have this gavel and they just slam it down and then and then it's law, you know, but there's way more process to it than that. And some coaches and some administrators and some SWAs and things like that have parts of the process. And so, you know, it's not, not like this all just comes about, you know, so it helped me understand that a little bit. But I think when it boils down to money, they do have the ultimate uh, <laughs> end all, you know, as far as that goes. And so, you know, just give us, a, you know, 1% of that uh, BCS or uh, whatever they call it now, you know, <laughs> playoff and, uh, you know, and then March Madness, you know, we would be in a good spot. Yeah. What are some final thoughts before I let you go? Uh, no, I just thank for have, thankful for having me on and thankful for the opportunity to uh, get this award. Uh, wow. You know, like I said, amazing, uh, that, that it's happened and, uh, honored that it's happened and, uh, super excited for the year for the flames and, uh, you know, we're looking forward to it and, uh, you know, ready to, you know, take on this season and see how things go. Thanks for your time, coach. I'll see you in Dallas. Absolutely. Ryan. We'll see you. Congrats to coach brew for being honored with one of our highest awards. It's awesome that we're able to shine a light on coaches that are doing it the right way. Thanks again to Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Matt West, and Antonio Walker in the ABC office for all the help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at coachb underscore abca, or direct message me via the MyBCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. 
Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Wait for another day.